Hey guys, I'm Evan Boris here, and you are listening to the Super Secret Filmcast. This one's coming in a little bit late, and I will admit that it is totally my fault. I planned on recording the intro and outro and stuff for this while I was at NAB, because I ended up being slammed right up until NAB, and it never happened. Um, so I'm home now and getting this recorded, and I'm super excited for you guys to hear this one, because we're talking to the one and only Bradford Young. Um, Bradford is amazing. It's a really good chat. I think you guys are going to dig it. I will briefly qualify by saying that due to the logistics of international FaceTime calls, which is sometimes the only way to do an interview when your uh, subject is in the middle of filming a Star Wars film, uh, we do get a few little call drops and stuff. We've done our best to try and clean those up, but we also didn't want to just cut out even if it's a half answer, sometimes a half answer beats no answer and just killing the question entirely. So just bear with that a tiny bit. If I met you guys at NAB this week, it was really cool meeting you. If I didn't, you should come next year so that we can hang out. Lots of cool gear. Um, I'm going to be doing some kind of blog post or video or something soon on some of my thoughts on what I saw at NAB. Uh, I should be able to release really soon the demo footage. We got to go out and play with the Atlas Lens Co. Orion Anamorphic lenses as well. And so getting some of that footage, I'm going to put it out. Um, But NAB was cool. Thank you guys so much for coming out. And yeah. The one other thing that I'll briefly sort of tease on that front is we definitely have some more discounts coming soon with a few different companies on gear. Um, There's not a ton that's super official yet, so I don't want to say too much for fear of something falling through. But the two things that I can say for certain are um, we're going to be doing something with Quasar Science again, and they have some cool new products that they weren't showing, to be honest, but kind of got some cool down low info on new products. And uh, they've got some cool RGB stuff, some cool Wi-Fi stuff, um, some new crossfades with built-in dimmers on the uh, actual fixture, which is pretty sick. Um, They're changing out some of the pigtail design, maybe to PowerCon or something else that locks, you know. I don't know. I'm not not representing Quasar Science. Can't hold me to that. But if it comes out, then uh, it's going to be sick, and you'll know where you heard about it first. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Also, Innovative showed off a new cart, which is sort of the more budget-friendly version of the Scout. Basically, the wheels are different, and it's not height-adjustable, though you can't upgrade it to do that. And it's $2,100 at launch, which is cheaper than a regular Scout. But we're going to have a discount very soon. um, And the discount price should be less than $1,500. So watch for that. If you want an innovative cart, it's going to be a great thing to get in on. Working on some other possible um, benefits with a few other companies. But I'll leave that at that for now. So let's get right into the interview with Bradford. And uh, yeah, just watch for some dropouts. Okay, cool. We're good now. Um, cool, bro. So cool, dude. So, what do you? Uh, what's your life been like the last few weeks or months or like how long have you been in it up there now? Uh, I've been here since September uh, last year, 2016. So that's a long uh, time. Yeah, yeah. We we we've been uh, we prepped for quite a while, and then uh, we started shooting not uh, about 36. Well more than 36 days ago but we've been shooting for we're on day 30 something oh that's really uh, cool of the shoot so we're uh we're not even uh close to being done yeah uh, are you allowed to say uh, how many days it's supposed to be total nah i can't say <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> 
<laughs> but, but but it's a you know it's a good chunk of it's a good chunk of one's year. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so uh, you're you're in London now. <clears throat> Um, cause you guys yep. are shooting out there. Where are you, where are you, where's like technically normal home for you? Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I live in, yeah, I live in Baltimore after, uh, many years in New York. Not many, but, uh, nine years in New York. I now live in Baltimore. Yeah. And so you have to like sort of uproot yourself and move to a whole nother country for this movie. Is that something that you've had to do much in the past? Yeah, I mean, pretty much every film since, yeah, I mean, every film since Saint Somebody Saints, I've had to, like, pack up and leave home in some form or fashion. Um, yeah. And uh, it was much e- it was much easier when I didn't have kids. Yeah. Um, but now that I've got kids and, uh, uh, you know, I want to be a present father, um, responsible for parent. Uh, and uh, raising kids requires partnership. You know, we uh, we uh, we travel. So my wife and my kids come with me on uh, on every job now. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's got to be a, an interesting sort of dynamic once you have the family thing going on. You know, it's one thing when it's like the sort of a commercial filmmaking, <clears throat> like you're out of town lifestyle, but you're literally like moving your whole family lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know that's that suits me best. Uh, the short, the sort of short, in and out commercial life is uh, is good for a little while, but it's 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 not conducive to the kind of family life that I want to have. So in that sense, movies, even just uh, you know, socially are better for me because um, I you know it allows me to be with my family, uh, you know, a lot. Not not a lot. You know, I'm still very busy and I'm still in and out, and um, I don't see them as much as I like to, even when we're all together, but. You know, I consider myself a family person, so at least on films, it's, I'm able to bring them with me, and I feel supported, and they feel taken care of, and that's that's really important. That's really important in terms of you know me creating or me being a good collaborator. Is you know making sure that I have my my sanity in check, and part of keeping my sanity in check is making sure that my family's with me and that I'm um, able to contribute. You know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I feel like that's something that um, for a lot of people, you know, the work-life balance is a a struggle. If you, what are some of the things that sort of like you've had to do to maintain that throughout, you know, the last few phases of your career? Um, ooh, that's a really good, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, communi- communication is key. You know, we, um, you know, part of what I do is I like, I, I engage and I disengage. So when I'm not on set, I tend to try to movie business and movie. I think we might have lost you for a second there. Organic. I bring a lot of my. Oh, hey, sorry. We lost you for a second there. Um, sorry I about think, that, man. Sorry I think, about that. No, you're good. Um, if you could just sort of start over from, I think you said just like keeping movie business and the rest of life separated. Yeah, for me, yeah, the you know the the way I've been able to you know keep all this in a in good in a good balance in a good place is try to uh, create a healthy separation between my my family personal life and my film life, and you know though a lot of what I do in my film life is inspired by my family life, um, you know I have to manage that I have to manage uh, you know my expectations of. You know what? You know, manage expectations in terms of what I what I want to achieve and what I want to get out of 
out of um, each 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 one of those things. And so, you know, I try to I try to keep a healthy separation, um, and that's how I think that's that's that works for us. You know, that works for my wife and I. Yeah, because um, film films are films take up a lot of take a lot of your energy and a lot of your your you know they it requires a, a a healthy psychology it requires a healthy psychosis it requires a healthy physical being and so um you know you can't give 100 percent to everything and so you got to really be able to strike a good balance a good measured percentages in terms of how you approach these things and so yeah try to it's all a balance just trying to understand these rule, life rules around balance and that's an ongoing struggle you know it's an ongoing human struggle but definitely for filmmakers it's it's intense for sure. Can you offer sort of any insight into because like you, you know. a, a practical example of how you actually keep those things separated? Um, yeah, like, you know, we, I, I, I tend to, um, it's another good question. <laughs> it, it, well, I, I think, I think one of the things I try to do is I try to manage, um, you know, what I talk about when I, when I come home. So, you know, I don't, I try, my wife and I, we try not to have long, extensive conversations about what happened on set. You know, it's a, they're very general things like, like, how was the day? How was your day? And, you know, if I say the day was tough, she gets it. I don't have to like crack it open and go into extreme detail. Um, and, you know, and, and, and from there we, we really, we bury it and we know she kind of, she can kind of decode what that means. And, um, and we go on, we move on to other things. And so that's kind of how we, we strike the balance, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and th- in this iteration of my life, you know, I'm really concerned about how her day has been. And I'm, and I'm really concerned about how the, how the kids, you know, how their day has been. So I try to shift gears once I walk through the door and make sure that I'm asking all the right questions, make sure that my family is taken care of, my family's happy. And so, um, you know, it's about it's about managing, com, com, you know, controlling conversations. I mean, also too, I've I've like, I used to not be so concerned about my own physical health. So you know, like some on the on Star Wars, you know, I've really been focused on trying to make sure that I stay f- uh, physically active, and that really has helped me manage that as well. Um, you know, it I've, I've been able to strike a, a good. I'm ho- I'm trying to strike a good measured balance between family life. Um, keeping myself clear mentally and being able to offer something as a collaborator. And um, so those are the things I do. You know, I like to run. I like to, um, you know, also, you know, I like to, I like to look at art. I like to look at photographs. Those, all those things sort of help me strike a better balance with, and not be totally consumed with film life, which is, you know, it's easy. Consuming their work and not remember all the other things that, are in our orbit that actually inspire and influence the work. So just try yeah. to constantly remind myself of that. That's, that's really, uh, you know, cool to hear. It's, it's interesting. Um, I feel like, you know, as the, as the various sort of tiers of filmmaking and, you know, different cinematographers who might be listening or whatever, I feel like it's always a struggle, but it's probably a struggle that shifts you know how it looks as as you hit different phases of your career and stuff you know right for some of us who are probably more in the commercial space you know i feel like the a lot of the struggle is almost in being constantly accessible and constantly like email and cell phone and everything else Um, right 
And well, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good, actually, that's a, another good, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to, um, take care of all that stuff, all the business stuff before I get home. So I generally don't answer emails or I don't pick up calls once I hit my house, you know, um, you know, my wife and I kind of have a rule unless it's family or dear friends, we really don't pick up the phone after a certain hour. And so that's another way, you know, we're able to manage and you need that, you know, you need that, uh, you know, art, I think all artists need moments of logical silence so that they can reflect on the work and reflect on the work reflect on the work they're doing and the work that they want to do and yeah. so and we, we live in a very noisy time you know there's yeah. there's no there's all types of noise around us and it's um it's good to you know turn the echo chamber off i think it's healthy i think i think you know artists and if we're talking about filmmakers in particular we have to really check out of the echo chamber because echo chambers it danger it's dangerous it, 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 it creates false expectations of who we are and what we are and what we expect out of our own life and career as artists and that. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think really putting down our mobile devices and turning off all these communication devices is really important. For sure. Do you, um, you know, like you're obviously in the middle of, of something really big right now. And I assume everyone listening knows that, that you're shooting a Star Wars movie, which we cannot talk about for understandable reasons. So. <laughs> For everyone yeah. who's waiting for the Star Wars questions, they're not going to come. Um, but uh, <laughs> are you? Do you have to deal with like you know how much are you starting to at any point you know beyond the next thing while you're in something, or do you sort of get the opportunity now to like be a hundred percent in it and then unplug and you know decompress and then sort of reassess the situation afterwards? If that makes sense. Yeah. Nah. I'm, I used to. You know. I used to. You know. I used to get really nervous and very anxious about not being on the next thing before I finish the thing that I'm on, uh, currently. Um, but, um, it's not, it's not about where I am at my stage in my career. Really, it's more about where I am at my stage as a human being and my own evolution as a human being. I've, um, you know, I've made a real conscious decision after a few years of like doing two to three movies a year that I'm not going to the DI and then I, I want to be available for pickups and reshoots and I want to be 100% present for the principal photography. And, you know, I get scripts and I read scripts and they're, you know, they're projects and I'm like considering if the time works, but, um, you know, whereas, you know, before I re really get very anxious about trying to make the time work, I'm kind of in that place in my own life now where I'm, I'm, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. If it's not meant to be, it won't happen. Um, and, you know, going back to the whole family conversation, it's not just about what I want to do now. It's about, what works best for the family. And so um, every film is under high scrutiny, high level of scrutiny in terms of when it's happening, uh, where it's happening and how that affects um, my family life. And so, yeah, now, now these days, I, I, and I think that's how that, you know, we're talking about striking a ba better balance in my life. I'm, I try to be very present and attentive to the things that I'm doing now. And so I try to, you know, again, shut off the sort of echo chamber and just try to say, focus on the work I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you know, you're doing, you know, doing now. So, yeah. Uh, for, you know, where you're at now and the kind of projects you're getting called for, you know, when sort of weighing what to take and what not to take is like rates or money ever a part of that decision or is it all sort of <laughs> just taken care of? At this point? <laughs> um, well, I, I'd be lying if I said money isn't important. Um, but it's definitely not, um, uh, it's very low on my 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 uh, my sort of uh, scale of priorities. Um, I still firmly believe that 
you know, and, and I think, and I, hopefully my body work expresses that, that I'm invested in the story. And so if, um, you know, I, I, I try to, I try to let that feed me first, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and I, and I, and I let the money thing get worked out by somebody else. Um, but you know, obviously I got I have a family I'm, and, and, and I make a contribution, um, you know, with my wife, my wife and I, we all make, we both make our own uh, contribution to making sure the family's taken care of. So, um, you know, I got to make money. I got to be able to do that so I can take care of the family, but it's not why I do the work. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, the rate conversation, you know, I let, I, you know, I usually let agents handle that. And if I like the project, I just like the project and, um, you know, whatever comes after that is, uh, you know, I know will be handled in, in that if it's good, it's good. If it's not where I need it to be, that's okay. As long as the project is where it, where it needs to be. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah. It's always just one of those things that, um, you know, I've been curious about is when you get into those like multi, multi million dollar budgets and there's, there seems to be money for everything you know if producers are are still trying to fight with agents over rates or if it's just sort of accepted that you know this is what this is what it's going to be and it's all fine you know it's not as much of a conversation yeah well you know my well you know um it's funny um you know if you think about it um you know if you look at some of my contemporaries that I'm, I'm assuming something here but um you know if you look at how long I've, I've been in the game I mean, how long I've been doing, you know, sort of quote unquote, bigger films, um, it hasn't been that long. So, you know, my leap from arrival to star Wars was a huge leap, you know, um, arrival was a, in its own right, a huge leap for me personally, because I was working with Denis, you know, and that was like, I always said I would have, you know, in my mind, I would have been fine just doing that. And if I never, you know, did anything bigger than arrival, that would have been, I'd be okay. You know, um, but I made a decision to um, take on take on a take on a bigger project, and 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 that, you know that 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 was good. That's good for me in certain ways. But on the other scale, on the other hand, it's a it's a huge leap from where, um, you know, think about. It, I only shot I shot only shot Anthem Body Saints three four years ago, you know, and so yeah. to go from Anthem Body Saints to Star Wars means that there's it is there is it is kind of uneven in terms of what I make. Um, as a working cinematographer and the scale of the projects that I'm doing. So that's the conundrum in my life now is that I'm doing bigger projects, but, um, you know, where I am in terms of commerce in my life doesn't necessarily equal uh, the scale of the project per se. Um, and that, you know, that's, that's, that's that balance, you know, that's the balance. And those are those, those are those things that, um, that I can't change in, and also the conversation that that that, need, that, w- that needs to happen for those you know to to bring those things into a better balance. I'm not even interested in having. I let somebody else have that for me because uh, again, I just want to stay focused on the on the work. You know, I know yeah. I'll be comp- I know I'll be compensated, and I know it'll be um, uh, good enough for me to be able to handle my business and you know my personal life. But again, the the project, the project, the work, the film is where where I'm com- what I'm committed to. You know, most of all. Yeah. Um, do you feel like Arrival had a significant impact in you getting called for this project? <clears throat> um, that's hard to say because, you know, it didn't it didn't um, it didn't come out until I got here. Right. Um, so I wasn't you know, the, the film didn't come out until October and I was already here shooting the film. Well, prepping the film. Um, but I think it helped. You know, I think it helped that I'd done a, a science fiction film. 
um, you know, one that folks assume, I think assumed had some uh, a healthy amount of visual effects work. But I think more than anything, man, I think just in terms of, you know, for, you know, like let's just say with Chris and Phil, it's like, you know, man, we love, we all love Denis, you know what I mean? So we kind of, you know, we think Denis is one of the great filmmakers of our generation. So of our time, not necessarily our generation, but of our time. And so, um, I think that, that brought me a long way that carries, that has, that has carried me and will continue to carry, uh, me a long way. You know, I always say, I'm, I'm, I'm always, I always say I'm standing on the shoulder of giants, you know? And so he's one of the giants that I'm standing on, you know, he's just the fact that I worked with him lift, lifted me up, you know? And so, um, so I think it's a fair balance of, okay, technically, yeah, he went and did a science fiction film and, there were some visual effects, but I think also at the same time, it's like, you know, he went and shot a film for Denis Villeneuve. And I think that counts that, that really is, you know, count means a lot, you know, it means a lot to people because people really respect him as an artist, as a filmmaker. Yeah. So I think that, that, that really kind of got me. I think that got me in the, and I think, you know, the, the, you know, and I, it's not just about Denis. It's also, you know, I, the work I've done with Ava or the work I've done, the work, I, you know, the work I've done with JC, um, you know, um, all of that really, you know, the work I've done with Andrew, the work I've done with D, David Lowry. I think, you know, I've had the I've had the privilege to work with some really fantastic, incredible uh, directors. You know, some of the best of our time, and so I think that's really helped me. Yeah. Um, what's the uh, What's the learning curve been like? Sort of, you know, I feel like arrival right into Untitled Han Solo Star Wars anthology film is a. Uh, you know, that's a, there's a lot of <laughs> VFX. <going on. laughs> um, and I feel like that's, you know, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I feel like that's less of sort of your background. So what's sort of been the oh, yeah. learning curve on that? It's interesting. Like, you, well, one, you never know enough, right? And because even in the visual effects world, technology is constantly changing and the way in which we shoot t- visual effects films are constantly changing. Um, you know, <clears throat> I will, I, I, not as a sidebar, but as a really important point to that question is that, you know, visual effects supervisors are really um, key in that, in designing the, you know, the visual effects sensibility of a film. And so, you know, some visual effects supervisors have their own taste in terms of what they think is good filmmaking and right on to them. And others have, other others have, uh, you know, other t- um, their own kind of taste in terms of what they feel like good filmmaking or good cinema is. So, um, you know, sometimes you, you find a situation where the, you, you might be working with a visual effects supervisor that doesn't have the same taste as you. Um, and you, you know, you, you have to, it's mandatory that you and the visual effects supervisor find harmony because, um, you know, you two are potentially the image makers, um, in the film, in the, in the filmmaking equation. And, um, what's wonderful is when you find a visual effects supervisor that has, the same sort of life sensibility as you and also has the same sort of um, taste in terms of image making as you do. And so um, you can get away with and you can learn a lot really quickly when you're working with somebody that shares similar tastes with you and somebody that's just collaborative in general. And um, so that's really, that's really been a big curve for me. Um, you know, I went, in, I went into arrival and didn't know much and learned a lot. Um, with, with the folks I worked with on Arrival, um, but here on this film, you know, working with ILM and a, re- a really wonderful visual effects supervisor, Rob Bretto, and, you know, he's innovative, he's smart, 
and I'm learning a lot just watching him um, keep it simple, you know, not be overly concerned with all the sort of minutia, but really thinking about what's the, what's the film we want to make, you know, and he's committed to that first and he's allowing that to drive um, the visual effects. And so, you know, I feel comfortable because he's helping me stay comfortable and stay focused and be secure about the work I'm doing. But I'm also learning a lot because he's very, he's super innovative and smart. Um, and that, and that, that, that I think in terms of like what I learned on arrival um, and what I'm learning now, like this leaps and bounds in terms of what, what I knew going into arrival and what I knew going into star Wars was leaps and bounds. But what I know now versus what I knew then is light years, you know? Um, but you still, but you still never, never, I'm still, you know, when somebody asked me where we're going to put the blue screen or where should we put blues? Like I'm still, I still never point to the right place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, I, I still am like, I don't know. Is it a 20 by or 40 by? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like those things, I don't think I'll ever really, uh, understand and, or, uh, be right about, but you know, in terms of lighting and, and, and picking the right and, 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 you know, putting the camera in the right place so that a visual effects element can be profiled in the right way or fall off the right way that, that, you know, those things I think I feel, I feel really comfortable with. And then, you know, like I said, in this instance, I feel really comfortable about it because I'm working with somebody that like helps me keep my head in the game. Right. Do you feel like, uh, have you gotten comfortable with sort of looking at a monitor and having a big spot of maybe, I don't know what that's going to look like, or I hope that looks really good or something. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, like on this film, we, we, not only do you have a, not only do you have a, a very analog cinematographer, but I would consider myself an analog image maker, but you also have two very analog directors, you know? Um, and so we, all of us, us three, Chris, Phil, and I, we definitely are in the school of, it's probably helpful that you show us what's going to be there in order for us to invest emotionally in what's happening in the foreground. And um, so we have a lot of visual aids to help us sort of understand. It's not perfect, but, you know, it gives us a scale. It gives us it gives a spatial reference, which is really important. Um, so on this one, yeah, it's been a lot easier to sort of imagine but you know, so it's been we haven't had to have 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 not had to imagine a lot because we we're being shown with visual aids versus on arrival where you know there wasn't there wasn't a lot of blue screen work, um, but it was difficult to not know it was there. But that got trumped by uh, what I discovered or what I saw later when the visual effects work was done. Yeah, beautiful where you yeah it's difficult in the day to not see it, but. It's almost like somebody brings you a gift when it's all done and you see what was there versus what was not, you know, you see what's been put in the film versus what was, you know, in terms of what was not there. Um, it's really it's really sort of goes back to like the old, you know, old school filmmaking. You shoot film and you drop it off at the lab and you get that roll of film back. You don't know what's going to be on that roll of film. And you, you know, you put it, you line it up on the projector or you put it on the steam back and you feel comfortable and it's a surprise. It's a gift. And that that's how I look at these moments now. It's like, I don't know what's going to go behind that blue screen, but I'm working with a really great visual effects artist, visual effects supervisor. And they're going to put something really interesting and really, really, um, you know, really palpable there and very much present there because the foreground element that we shot 
had its own sort of meta and had its own sort of sensibility to it. They're not going to portray that. They're just going to add another layer to it that's representative of the work that you gave them. And so, yeah, it was just beautiful to see, you know, when you, let's say, for instance, on Arrival, you know, we shot the, there's a scene where Jeremy and Amy are sitting in the back of a truck uh, with the, it's at, it's at like basically magic hour and they're sitting in the valley in the back of a truck and the spaceship's kind of looming over them to have a conversation. You know, we shot the wide shot um, three angles at magic hour, all three, all three cameras at the same time. Um, and then we went in for close-ups. We ran out of light. So we knew we were going to shoot those close-ups later on stage against blue. Um, but we shot the plates out there before we left um, as reference. And when we were shooting their close-ups against, against the blue screen, you know, I didn't know what that cop, what that was going to look like later. And it was so amazing to have those shots opened up in the DI and see the cop, um, you know, the matte painting that they made later put behind them and to see that, you know, <clears throat> it, the marriage of the, of the visual effects element with the foreground element that we gave them was just as beautiful as anything we would have done in real time. And that, that's 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 when it doesn't even matter what you know that you don't know what's on the blue screen because you got a good visual effects supervisor, you got a good visual effects team that's got good taste, and they're using your foreground element to sort of push and motivate what they put in the background, and that's 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 amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, that's the gift. That's the gift of not knowing. <laughs> totally. Do you? Yeah. What do you guys call the uh, sort of the? I don't know what you'd call it, the like main spaceship room in Arrival. Uh, the memory chamber. Yes. So what's it like shooting something like that where, you know, you're sort of having a lot of stuff of people interacting with imaginary elements on the other side of this screen, you know, sort of. That's got to be an, an interesting process to presumably spend a lot of time shooting, you know, a bunch of scenes where 50% of the scene isn't actually there. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And again, I think, you know, part of what you do is that because you don't know where the going to put there what you do is you just make struggling and unpacking a real human di- dilemma which is us questioning our own mortality the mortality of our children so we just let the foreground tell the story and that being just we were just committed to that the blue screen around it didn't matter because we knew we were doing the right thing with amy um and so that that's that that's the learning the learning curve i think even for like say say for instance for young cinematographers or for a cinematographer that's doing a visual effects film for the first time it's like you work, you work all these years to develop technique. You work all these years to develop your voice. Um, you know, you're constantly, and your voice is constantly evolving. And then you get to that film where, you know, well, 90% of the frame is going to be an environment that's generated later. But that doesn't matter. It, what matters is that the element in the foreground is representative of your voice. You know, it has all of the, the texture and the the, the the, the vibe that's really organic to who you are as an image maker. And so as long as you honor that, and that was what I learned on Arrival, as long as you honor that, the visual effects team, they're not gonna they're not gonna betray that. They're gonna use that to build their 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 pieces. They're gonna they're gonna use that to build their assets. They're gonna use that to build their background plates. They're gonna use that to build their own cameras. And so, you know, it, it just goes back to what I, I always try to tell young image makers, which is, you know, just be true to yourself, you know, never question the body of work you've 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 generated over however long you've been practicing and know that you know all the graphic movies that way and um and that's okay you know because we have our own own photographic taste our own voice and that it 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 
there may not always be a great marriage between what, what we do and, 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 and certain films. Yeah. You know, you sort of mentioned um, developing and, and finding your voice throughout your career. If you had to try to quantify your voice, what, how would you describe it? Oof. <laughs> it's, real, it's, it's a good it's a good it's a good well you know you know my, my voice has been forged by the you know the world and the, the community in which I was raised and reared you know you know you, you speak in terms of you know the American context you know I think um, you know my 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 sensibility was forged in a in a very specific uh, community you know and so um, it's kind of hard to identify and say what that is because I'm still trying to understand it myself. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I I was supposed to be a cinematographer, so a lot of what I'm doing is like I'm I'm discovering it as. So at this point, Bradford presumably entered a tunnel or something, and his call fully dropped uh, for actually about ten minutes be honest and then we called back and tried to pick up the conversation and so let's go back into the conversation yeah yeah oh there we go now i can hear you again yeah you good yeah what happened we lost sorry. you <laughs> yeah this fell, yeah i don't know the phone just fell out sorry i know it's all good in an international international calls dude i know international <laughs> facetime i mean it's sort of a miracle that we can do this at all it is it is well, that's 21st century <laughs> it is, uh, and at this point, though, it's par for the course because when we did Greg's interview, he was driving to a scout out in like Nevada or something, and his call full on dropped like every sixty seconds the whole time. Well, there it is. Well, look, uh, hey, I don't feel bad. At least we had longer. No, you're definitely longer. his cut out way, way, way more. So you're you're doing good. <laughs> Quick note that that's not Greg's fault, and I still love him. <laughs> okay, okay, cool, cool. cool but uh, cool so Great. I, th- I think. Uh, oh, and just real quick, just so I can keep an eye on it. How much time do you have? Just so I'm not wasting. I got time. another. I have another uh, twenty, twenty-five minutes. Is that cool? Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Great. Cool. Um, I think we were talking about just um, sort of, you know, you were, you had already talked before it dropped out a little bit about like how your background and stuff affect your um, sensibility. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe maybe my question is like, um, I feel like we talk a lot about um, as cinematographers, like how everything sort of comes back to story, you know, and the decisions that we make. But at the same time, I feel like there are certain, you know, sort of like innate things that separate different people's voices and work and stuff. Um, and yeah. so you can sort yeah. of tell someone apart, even if what they're doing is, is reflecting the story. Is there like, is there anything that you feel like, like this is your signature? Like if, if people are going to try and pick your work out, is there like a tendency <laughs> you have, or like, this is the, this is the Bradford thing that you throw in there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's hard. That's hard. That's hard. It's hard to say. Um, I mean, it's not, I've, it's not something, it's not something that what were you, you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say the only thing I can really think of, honestly, is just that I know that I feel like there's a perception that you tend towards darker imagery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. Um, you know, um, you know, I'm really I'm really fascinated by darkness, you know, um, and I'm I'm fascinated by darkness on many levels. I'm fascinated by photographic darkness. And what I mean by that is I'm fascinated by what is hidden in the shadows, Um because I think we often forget that there's a lot of story in the bottom. There's a lot of story in the top. Um, you know, we often look towards stories to 
especially in cinema, we often look towards stories to sort of lift our spirits and um, use it as uh, as as a as a hatch to sort of open and escape real real life. Um, so I think you know what we often forget is that there's a lot of beautiful story and a lot of beautiful um, real sort of textural textured palpable things in the shadows. Um, and, and I don't mean that in like the genre way, you know, I really mean that in like, um, the most spirited way. Yeah. Um, um, so there's that part of darkness that I really enjoy. And I think, you know, when I first started recognizing what photographs were and the photograph photographers that I grew up around, um, not grew up around, but the photographs, photographers, I grew up, um, you know, pictures, pictures I grew up looking at, um, you know, the one photographer that really sort of inspired and really his work really stuck with me. They were all the greats, you know, but the one that really stuck with me is uh, Roy De Carava. And uh, Roy's work was always, um, his stories always existed in his use of light and shadow, of course, but characters were always placed in the shadows. And um, he ended up in spaces and places where really spirited things were happening in darkness, um, whether it be, you know, two lovers kissing in the park at night, or two dancers dancing at Birdland at night, or John Coltrane playing at a little small club somewhere in New York at night, or Mahalia Jackson singing at some dark church at night. Um, you know, he was really digging into the shadows to tell the story. He didn't use flashes. He didn't do any of that. He used the tools he had on his camera, a shutter, a lens, and an aperture, and a strip of film to sort of capture a moment in real time to map a human moment in real time. And, um, those things fascinating, you know, in terms of photographic darkness, um, in terms of life's darkness. Um, I've had a lot of, in my, in my 39 years of life, I've experienced a lot of dark moments and, um, a lot of dark times. And so, um, you know, at a certain age when you, you know, at a certain age, when you experience those things, you're, you're unable to unpack those things at the age of 15 because you just don't know how to unpack them. Um, and because, you know, life continues and you got to keep, keep it moving. Sometimes you put the pack, those things away and leave it for later so that you can just continue to live life. And so I'm using film to unpack those things. Uh, this is why I'm committed to the art form. I'm not committed to the art form for life because once I've fulfilled this mission of unpacking it, I'm, happy to leave cinema alone and move on to something else. But um, right now, this is where I can express my own story, my own journey, um, you know, as a as a young person dealing with loss. And so, you know, when you see the work I do and you're thinking about the darkness is really an expression of my own pathology. It's a it's a it's a um, it's an expression of my psyche. Um, and, 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 and all of that comes out of my own individual personal experience. Um, that's what I depart from, not necessarily the community. My community, my communal experience is beautiful because it's the community that got me through my dark times, but my individual experience, um, is there's a lot of expressive, beautiful, sublime, <laughs> dark moments. And so, um, so that I can be a good, partner and a good father. I try to, I try to use, um, film as a way to stay grounded and uh, darkness really helps me do that. 
you're a, uh, I don't know, I feel like it, it maybe this is, <laughs> I, tell me if this is wrong, but I feel like you're a very sort of philosophical cinematographer um, in a lot of ways. <laughs> and so a lot of the, um, a lot of what I've heard, you know, over the last few years, whenever you talk about your work is very based on like, these ideas and these philosophies and, and your psyche um, and what you're trying to say and, and everything. But there's a point where all of our ideas and thoughts and, and you know, everything that goes into telling a story um, have to meld with, you know, the technical competency, competency to actually make what we're trying to make. Um, right. And so... You know, how has that process been? I, I don't know. I guess I don't even really know what I'm saying, but I guess. Yeah, no, I understand. I think I understand. I, I understand. No, that's what you asked earlier. You asked a really question, good question earlier about like what's the practical, yeah. what's a practical example of like balancing uh, uh, life and art, you know? Yeah. Um, art or and like, commerce. Even for, you know, that tending towards darkness and like, um, I think that the the personal like why you tend towards that is fascinating but i would be also interested to hear just a little bit about like if you've either like had any struggles with that or like how you balance the technical with that on any level or like yeah. are you totally flying by the seat of your pants or are you sort of a like look at waveforms kind of guy or like how do you balance right. that like feeling you're trying to make with making sure mm. that you're capturing what you need what i need yeah and no, that's that's a, that's a really i mean yeah it's really another great question um yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I tend to live by the seat of my pants, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I'd, I'd be really deeply disturbed if I, if I wasn't, um, if I felt like the images I met, I was making were for somebody else and not for me, you know. I just be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, you know. I, I, um, you know, I'm, you know, underexposure is a big, is a. I, I don't call it underexposure. I just call it my sweet spot, but. If you know, if we had to use a technical term like underexposure, is where I feel comfortable. You know, if I don't see a particular amount of shadow um, in the frame, and that shadow being offset by a really specifically placed highlight, um, so that people don't, so that people can still have a full, robust uh, tonal experience, um, then I don't feel like I'm doing the right thing. Um, so you know, I have my tricks. You know, I like to. Um, you know, in film, I used to, you know, let's say for something like Ain't Nobody Saints, you know, I realized that 5213, um, you know, film stocks had really changed and that I was really unhappy with what, um, you know, me putting my light meter in, looking at the lighting I like, taking light away, cutting the light, putting light meter in, exposing the film at its, you know, normal exposure index. I was really unhappy with the results. So on something like Ain't Nobody Saints, I had to really nail it on the negative. And what I found was that, underexposing 5213 by <clears throat> three stops really made me feel like I was doing the right thing. Um, it made the negative really thin, but it gave me a really interesting um, level of grain. Number one, um, I'm a big film. I'm a big fan of Milky Blacks. Milky Blacks make me feel like I'm really looking at something in real time. So um, it allowed me to have really, really Milky Blacks. Um, it made all of my highlights really, really soft. And it really essentially just put the film in the toe, which is where I really like to work. Um, yeah, I lost a lot of sleep doing that, but the end result was that it got me closer to that image that I had in my head. You know, my mind's eye I had this image um, stuck in my head when I was, um, you know, making the film and thinking about 
the film and I really want to have that textural quality to it and nothing else could really do it other than underexposing the film by three stops. And that wasn't something that I wanted to do, but I had to do it because my mind's eye told me that that's what I needed to do in order to really honor what was in my mind's eye. Um, and so um, that's kind of how I go about making the decision. I'm not making the decisions because I'm just tripping and I like darkness, you know, I do yeah. like darkness, but <clears throat> you know, on the same, at the same time, I'm re really insecure, you know, like, my sets are probably not conducive sometimes to acting <laughs> um, because, they're, you know, they're very dark. Um, and I didn't, I haven't developed a good technique where I can overlight India down and time it down later. Like the result is very different for me. Um, I like to underlight, overrate the camera, meaning, you know, the Alexa is, is a camera usually rated, you know, they say rated at 800. I rated it at 1280 so that I can underlight and let the camera then dig into the shadows, thus meaning I have a thin sort of raw foul or less a thin, thus a thin, a thin negative. And so, you know, <clears throat> it's difficult sometimes for actors to sort of move on my set or move on, not on my set, but move on the sets that I'm lighting because there's just not a lot there. Um but I think, you know, at the end of the day, people generally understand that the end result ends up being what they thought it ends up being something they didn't think it would be because, um, you know, what you see with your eyes and necessarily what the camera sees or what yeah. the film, what the, you know, what the lens sees, you know, it has its own way of seeing as well. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's most expressive in terms of, you know, I really do create a relationship with my camera. I really do create a relationship with my lenses. I really do create a marriage with um, the tools I use because, they ultimately have to understand me. Nobody else has to, you know, they have to be able to translate my idea, um, help me translate my idea. And um, what I need to do is give the camera as much information so that it can go ahead and process and debear or, um, you know, uh, burn or etch uh, the idea into, 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 into existence. And so, yeah, you know, I have, I have you know, technically, Technically, here's the deal. Technically, <laughs> I could go on for days, but part of the reason why I don't really get into real technical conversations is because, um, you know, I enjoy, I'm, I'm enjoying talking to you because I enjoy talking to, 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 to young people, to other, to fellow filmmakers, because I, I want to be, I want to demystify the technology. Because you can, you can, you can, you can figure out the technology real quick, but it's hard to know yourself, you know? It's mm -hmm. hard to know who you are. And um, instead of bogging people down with the f-stops or the film stocks or whatever I use, I can do that really. I can do that in 15 minutes, but it's really hard for me to sort of tell you why I'm doing something in a, in a real sort of complete coherent thought because I'm still on my own personal journey, and my that journey is is embedded in the films that I make. You know, I just I just always felt like you know when I was a student, <laughs> you know, I felt like. I used to get really frustrated with all the technical jargon because I felt like the cinematographers I was talking to other than a few were, were trying to mystify the process by using a bunch of math and a bunch of numbers to make me feel ostracized and make me not connect to essentially what it is. What I want to know is like, how the hell do you get it to look that way? Yeah. Um, you know? And it was like, these guys were the gatekeepers of knowledge and they didn't want us to have the knowledge. But what I realized was like, oh, there's nothing. They didn't have any 
any more knowledge than anybody else. They were using the same tools, same lenses, but they were just, it's the way they used them that matter. And that's what I'm trying to like express in my work is like, it's the way you use it. It's not what it is. It's the way you use it. And that part, how you use it is all determined on who you are. You know, who, who are you? What do you, you want to say? You know, what kind of artist what is your, what is your voice? You know? Totally. Yeah. And I think I, uh, I totally agree with that. And that's sort of been, um, I think part of the sort of philosophy of like this podcast and stuff in general is we usually don't get super technical. Cause I feel like, you know, you can learn the technical any number of places. Um, right. And it's all the rest of it. That's sort of more important. Um, but I'm going to quickly turn back on that because, uh, I guess sort of <laughs> an interesting thing you said in there, I feel like, um, for people who are interested and sort of resonate with that style of imagery, um, are there any particular like technical or creative pitfalls that you see people fall into when trying to go underexposed? Like, is there something that sticks out to you as like a lot of people don't do this and it doesn't work out that well for them or they do do this or, you know, whatever that may be. Hmm. Like, and, and well, sorry, go ahead. I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> no, 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 no. Explain it. Like, give me, give me a better example. Give me another, give me another example. Not a better like, example. I'm sorry. Give me another No, that's example. okay. <laughs> um, like if you were to say like, um, you know, maybe it's that, you know, I, I press everything down into like, you know, the bottom 20% a lot, but I try to not, you know, let too much actually clip or it's that maybe I right. do let everything clip or it's that, you know, people are, uh, you know, something I've personally been experimenting with a lot recently is I feel like, um, there's a difference between like working in darkness. That's like actual darkness and working in right. like, just above that very base level, you know, right. of exposure of like that 10 IRE of there's just barely something in there. Right. Um, and so I don't know if, if there's anything like that that sticks out to you of like people are pushing too much contrast in their darkness and it's more like low contrast darkness or yeah. anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if it, it, what I, what I would call a spirited black or a spirited darkness, which is it's dark, but you can read into the darkness in a way where you're not necessarily full see full form, see full form, but you're seeing slight representations of form in the in the in darkness. And those slight representations of form and darkness can emerge from the darkness into the light, and you can then see a full detailed representation of darkness. I think you know what I. It's hard. It's hard for me to say what people how people juggle that in terms of is it technically correct or how you know is it. Are they doing it the right way or not the right way? What I would just say is that, you know, um, you know, if you're looking for that spirited black, there are definitely certain things that you need to do in order to, like, um, main, maintain what I think is that beautiful roll off from, from a really thick, velvety black, not an inky black, not a video black, but a really velvety black, something that really has a certain level of silver in it and rolls off into, you know, slightly gray, you know, slightly darker gray into gray into whatever, everything else above that, which I'm kind of not interested in in terms of my own technique. But, um, yeah, I think you, you, you have to be present and you, you have to be conscious of several things. It's not, and it's, and it's not just about your exposure. It's not just about your lighting. It's about the wardrobe. It's about the production design. It's about, uh, making sure that you're very conscious and very, and very, um, involved in the process of helping people pick materials that pick up, help you, provide you with a canvas to help pick up those those details you know 
Um, and so what I, you know, I think one of the things that not, not that I've seen examples that weren't, that uh, weren't compelling, but I think more than anything, it's, it's a, it, it has to be because you're really digging, digging deep, deep, deep down into the toe. And it has to be a real, um, conscious collaboration from everybody. Um, especially, you know, I'm the only speak, I'm speaking as a filmmaker. And so, so I'm able to bring up all these other departments, but like wardrobe, makeup, production design, all these things have to really come into play in a much more intense way. Um, because it's easy to just throw somebody in a white shirt, stick them in the corner and underexpose and think that it's going to be interesting, but it might not, you know, um, they might need to wear a certain color. They might need to wear something else other than a white shirt. Um, but on the other hand, maybe sticking them in the corner and exposing my three stops and putting them in a white shirt and front lighting them might be exactly what you need. You know, it might just be that, that, that white becomes a dark gray and everything around the shirt becomes velvety black. And that could be really sublime and really communicate what you want to communicate. Um, so I think it's, it's when you're, when cinematographers are really interested in darkness and the way that I'm interested in darkness. I think my advice for a really successful experience and really capturing that spirited darkness is that you really have to hold hands with other departments in order to really fulfill that journey because you can't do it by yourself. You know, it's not going to be about, it's not about turning lights off. That's for sure. (laughs) That's really easy. You know what I mean? It's about turning lights on, putting them in the right place or bouncing them or um, panning them away from the right place. Um, And it's about, what that person is, the, the space that person's occupying or the space that that light's occupying. Um, and essentially, you know, it's down to the textiles that are draped on the body of our, our actors, you know. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really fine balance. Because all those things, when one of those elements really tips to the side and doesn't um, get up to speed, it just, it's just not, doesn't work out, you know. That's my experience. And, and that's just because I've been really blessed to work with um, some really incredible production designers, costume designers, um, makeup artists who are, um, and gaffers, key grips, you know, people who cut your light, who just understand, you know, how important it is to really pay attention and really um, know what's going on in the shadows in order to really bring that really sublime sort of de- level of detail to your to your darkness. Yeah, I mean that holistic filmmaking thing. I think is always is always key. There's only so much that uh, you know DP can do to to save <laughs> other people not doing everything so well, and there's only so much that everyone else can do to save you not being good at your job. You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. It has, to, it has to come together. Um, exactly. So I want to take a brief turn as we get you know sort yeah. of the end of time. We have a few yeah. listener questions. Yeah. Um. And so question number one is from Jason, who um, sort of wants to know about um, how much you're creating looks in camera and how much are in the grade, especially with how you're um, pushing levels, you know, in the DI with dark stuff. Right. Um, Well, it depends, you know, like something like A Most Valiant Year, a lot of that was done on set, but then we leaned the film sort of yellowish warm in the DI. Um, but you know, you have all those sort of bones, um, on set and you do that with the LUT, you know, the LUT was slightly warmer, but it also had milky blacks and all the things that we really, Joe and I really like, and that JC really thought was important for the film. So, um, you know, I feel like that was really half and half. Um, 
you know, I say I say 30, 70, 30, you know, we did a lot on set, but then we kind of really enhanced it in the DI, you know, um, something like Selma is really all in camera, you know, it's very much in camera. Um, something like Arrival is very much in camera. Um, so in really locking in those looks on set, um, you know, the DI was spent, a lot of the time the DI was spent just really trying to make sure that those visual effects shots married well with our foreground plates. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it just depends on the project. Something like, <clears throat> you know, I'm really leaning towards doing it all in camera now. I really want to try to move and point my career where I'm having very short DIs, you know, because that's what digital technology allows you to do. It allows you to really nail it on the camera and really kind of move on. You see it. It shouldn't be any different from what you see on your, your monitor on set. It shouldn't be any different from what you see in in the DI suite. You know, somebody like Steve Yetlin is really pushing that and making sure that that process is very transparent and very clear for him. And so I really think that's the future, you know. Yeah. Dude, I would love to get Steve on and just hear him talk about math. Uh, let me, I, let me, I, let me help. Let me help you do that, man. He's he's brilliant. He's just a great artist, you know. So. Dude, if we if we can hook that up, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so one other quick tag along question to that: Are you guys developing LUTs per film, or do you have like a LUT that you go with, or do you just shoot, shoot like monitoring RE seven hundred nine, or sort of what's your onset process with that? Yeah, we develop a look every film. Um, and is that consistent we have a, throughout the film, or do you do you know do oh, different yeah. stuff for different scenes? Oh no 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 no! I use one LUT. I use it like with film stocks. You know, I use one LUT. Um, you know, I might have like a push pull version of that LUT, but I use one LUT, and and um, you know. So yeah, so yeah, they're two LUTs, but in general, it's the same, the same um, color science. The color science underneath it is basically the same. You know, you might have a node or a CDL in there where you can, it might affect the highlights slightly differently or the red slightly differently. But in general, the way it deals overall, where it sits and sort of in the, in the toe, where it sits, um, you know, in terms in general, is really just one, one LUT. You know. Yeah. Cool. Um, so next, um, listener question is from Ryan who asks, um, is there something that you learned shooting Arrival or Star Wars that will change the way that you shoot or interact with people going forward in your career? Um, yeah, I mean, I really, mm, it's interesting. I really always, yeah, I mean, optics, you know, really, I learned so much on both of those films, both of these films about optics you know i was always really really concerned about optics but and you know was always you know a big fan of certain certain lenses but th these two films really taught me the importance of like um optical the, the importance of opticality but also the importance of like lens character relationship the distance you know you know we're always looking for that 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 real that 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 the, the sort of realism in a moment that purity in a moment and i think purity for me in a moment in terms of mapping a human experience in like a few frames really is to heighten and determine by lens to subject distance and so I'm really the last couple of films I've really been pushing that hard um, and making sure I'm choosing the right focal lens to be very expressive and very close to um, to actors and so um, yeah that's the takeaway for that is you know that 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 lens to subject distance is really important for me I usually like line the camera up on a and during the testing phase you know I get a stand in and I'll put a lens on and I'll, you know, get the camera, get the frame right where I like it. And then I'll step to the side and look at literally, I'll measure literally or look at with my eye the distance between the lens and the person's face. And if the, if it looks like it's too far away, then I go to a wider lens and that's sort of like my new process, you know, just making sure that I'm able to be in that moment with the person as close as I can be without getting in the way. 
And when you say look like it's too far away, what does that actually mean? Well, if I look at <laughs> if I look at where the front element of a lens is, the front element of the lens is, and you know, if I look at that, if I'm looking at the you know looking at the camera in profile, and I'm looking at where the front element of the lens is or the matte box is, and I look at where the subject is. If that looks like it's too far away. Right, but I mean, I guess like too far away relative to what? Like with the perspective you want the viewer to have or just like a sort oh, yeah, of gut feeling yeah. of like it well, looks well, too rel- far? Yeah, gut feeling of it looks too far. And I know if it looks too far, then the gut feeling for the audience is that we're too far away, you know? Because um, it, it does matter, you know? It does matter. I mean, that's, you know, you, you can be close, but you can be close with 100 mil, but you can also be close with a 24 mil. And those are two right. different things, you know? And so they have two different feelings, you know? So uh, I think what you're saying is that the next Star Wars movie is going to look like one of the recent Chivo projects. It's like all on a 12 nah. really close all the time. Nah, 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 nah. Chivo, <laughs> Chivo, has, a, Chivo has a dance that's unmappable. Uh, uh, but um, nah, you know, it's just, it's just about feeling, you know. It's just about, um, um, you know, the particularities of, like, being present and not being present. You know, it's about... You know, do you shoot somebody from across the room or do you, are you are, as an observer or are you an active participant? I think that's the difference. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so we have three more sort of quick fire audience questions. Yeah. Um, where do you look for inspiration? Um, for my children, <laughs> from photographs, yeah, it's kind of food, chefs, uh, yeah, that's, that's where I any particular in the in the the woods yeah any particular food you've been digging lately nah nothing nothing in particular (laughs) anything spicy you know anything spicy Uh, i'm I'm into it london's an interesting (laughs) food scene too it is all right it could be better but it's it's all right (laughs) um when a DP and director don't agree on a shot, what is your process for solving that? Um, either doing exactly what they tell me to do, or say, or or saying that I think it, it could be interesting to do both, um, or um, continue to provide, continue to suggest other options until we find the, the right place. You know. For me, for me, disagreement isn't anything other than just a disagreement. It doesn't mean anything other than that. It just means we don't agree, but it's not the failure of a scene or the failure of a shot. We just have to find that harmony, and sometimes finding the harmony is is hard. Right. And sometimes, and it, it, it could be hard because it just gets more intense because you don't agree, or you as a cinematographer have to make a big compromise and just say, you know what, I don't understand, but um, that, that's not important. I got to do what you tell me to do because you feel it's right, and that's what we should, that's what guides us, you know? And That's what you got. For your work, you know, at least maybe recently, are those disagreements and conversations happening like during pre-pro or is that an on-set thing? Like where where are you having those conversations? Oh, it happens all over the place. Yeah, it happens everywhere, you know. It happens everywhere, pre-pro, on-set, in the DI, you know. It's just natural. Yeah. It's part of, the, part of the process, you know, yeah. part of the process of making film. Cool. Um, and then last audience question is, I've heard that Bradford creates elaborate look binders for each movie. Um, could he speak at all about the process of making one of these and how he uses it? Um, yep, I do look books for most films. Um, 
And what I, you know, there is, it's a sort of a twofold thing. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes in. I mean, there's like music references, there's all types of stuff. It's, some of it's not even image photographic. Um, but, but in, on a photographic level, it's like images that I've been aggregating for years that end up going to the book because, you know, one image that I really love wouldn't work for one film. So I end up using it in another film, in a book. And then, you know, I spent a lot of time just on the internet scouring, you know, just really looking for stuff that, you know, type in keywords, dreams, photographic dreams, or type in, you know, whatever it is that um, I want to sort of unpack photographically. And I just pull images and I throw those in the lookbook. And then, you know, then those things get distilled down from, you know, 100 images to like 20 images. And then, you know, that book gets passed on to all the departments and it just shows, gives everybody an idea of where you're trying to go texturally, you know, in your work. And that, again, that's that thing I was saying earlier about when you go that, when you go that far in the darkness, you got to really get people on board because it really affects everything. You know, orange is no longer orange. It becomes burnt umber, you know, red is no longer red. It becomes scarlet. And so, so that everybody understands that you really have to make the case. And part of what we do as visual storytellers is we're probably not very good speakers we're probably, or talkers. We're probably very, we communicate better with images. And so I use that as my like crutch. Um, again, it's that, it's that, you know, we can be philosophical all day, but still, we still got to make images. We got to shoot the shit. And so, yeah. What's it gonna look like? Is all it's, it's better to show somebody than to talk about it. And is that lookbook sort of like a personal bible for you, or is that something that you're you know giving to crew, or like what sort of the use case? Yeah, that? both, both. Yeah, it's like a bible, and I share it with everybody. Cool. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's a PDF file. Sometimes it's just stuff in my room, on my, in my office on the wall, and people can come by anytime and see. Yeah. Yeah. So I have I have one last question for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is for any young filmmakers who are, you know, watching things and being inspired by things and sort of just trying to progress through their career and, and develop a distinct voice, do you have any advice to sort of help them find their voice as opposed to, you know, just sort of like recreating what's around them? Yeah, I mean, I would say the most beautiful things are right up under your nose, you know. Um, you know, everything you need is right there in front of you. Um, it just takes um, some real um, well-thought-out moments of silence, some really well-executed moments of silence to really tune into that. And that, um, you know, oftentimes the burden of what we do as filmmakers is that you know, um, we think that somebody else has the answer for us, but they don't, you know, the answer's right there. And that every time you frame up a shot and you, 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 you turn on the light and you cut that light and you have somebody move in the frame or you move the camera the way you want to move, it's as good as the next part, the person next to you doing the same thing. You know, it's, it's all good. You know, it's, it's just about trusting your instincts, trusting yourself and knowing that, what you're doing at that very moment is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and I think, you know, the journey to succeed or the journey to, you know, um, continue to, to practice the way you want to practice is sort of all summed up in there. It's just really about having knowledge of self, you know, know who you are and know thyself, know where you come from and know what you want out of this, this journey in life, you know, and know what you want out of this art form. And nobody can answer that for you, you know, nobody can answer that for you. 
And that is it for this week's episode of the Super Secret Filmcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, thank you so much to Bradford for being on the show. I really just love getting to have these conversations with people. I'm really thankful for some of the listener questions in there. And if you want to be someone who gets to ask listener questions, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash eborsier, um, which is my first initial last name. And you can pledge $5 a month to this show. Um, and basically in exchange for giving us money, you get the ability to ask podcast guest questions. As soon as I know that a guest is going to be coming on, I post a thread in there and people comment and post those questions. Um, I will quickly say that sometimes uh, the questions just fit more in the natural flow of conversation, um, but they're still prompted because I have a list of all the listener questions. Um, so if you're a listener and your question wasn't in the like listener question section, it's probably because we already talked about it. Um, so yeah, patreon.com. Also, you can just donate like a dollar a month or something, and that's super beneficial. It just helps us, you know, keep getting this out. Every little bit helps. And then if you jump up to $15 a month, you get access to the behind the scenes on a bunch of my work. I try to do breakdowns of every single project that I do on there. I'll break down rates and budgets and what gear we use and answer, honestly, just about any question you have. So if you're interested in that, go check it out, patreon.com slash if you have anyone that you think should be on the podcast, send me an email, Facebook message, something. You can email me at evan at supersecretfilmcast.com. And we're constantly trying to line up guests and stuff. And so that's super helpful. We have some cool people in the works who I don't want to jinx, but always open to suggestions. The last thing I want to say before we wrap this thing up is that I just wanted to open the door if there's any listeners who are really talented in sort of the audio realm who are interested in sort of designing and submitting any like cool intro outro transition production kind of things you know this is normally a pretty pretty raw thing it's just me talking um and then we have a little music that comes in at the beginning and the end but if anyone wanted to do anything i would be happy to use it and to give you some shout outs for designing something awesome so just wanted to put that out there so thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you again next week